the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How the heck are you? This is uh, John Gabriel, your fill-in host today. Being a Friday, Seth has decided to take the day off, enjoy our weather, and uh, that's very good to hear. I write for AZ Central every other week. Um, You can also find me at Ricochet, uh, ricochet.com. That's where I am, editor-in-chief, providing fine content for you there. And about, I think at last count, about 84 podcasts. So a lot of podcasts out there. I have my own, uh, modestly called the King of Stuff podcast. So uh, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter. There I am known as XJohn. I needed a shorter name than John Gabriel, so it's E-X-J-O-N. So one more place to follow me. We're all digitally connected here. There is a lot going on in the news, and a lot of people are trying to figure out what on earth exactly Biden is doing. He's been reaching out to Iran repeatedly, and it's disturbing to see he's kind of shutting down Israel, shutting down Saudi Arabia. Then he goes back on that and contacts Israel His latest thing is bringing back Middle Eastern war. Yay, everybody. We have wars again. Um, We really missed those over the past four years. So Biden approved some strikes on some rebels in Syria, which he said were backed by Iran. Meanwhile, everything else he's done has been praising Iran, even though they want our destruction, Israel's destruction, Saudi Arabia's destruction. Uh, They're not nice fellows, but uh, hey, this is Joe Biden. He's not exactly with it these days. So we will see how it turns out. What I thought was most interesting about this is, of course, most on the left praising the strikes. Even Jen Psaki, um, the uh, dithering White House press sec, uh, who's always circling back to things. Uh, Well, uh, she's circling back now to being pro-war. She, whenever Trump did a strike, a punitive strike in Syria or even in Iraq, she would say, oh, this is horrible. He doesn't have authority to do this. What's wrong with him? And uh, now she's shilling for what a brilliant, brilliant decision it was. What most troubles me about the strikes, look, if you got bad guys and they're targeting Americans, wax them. Take them out. Take them off the playing field. Knock over their chessboard. I'm all for that. Um, I'm ex-Navy, so I still have that in my background. The problem is that Joe Biden attacked rebels in Syria because rebels in Iraq attacked American troops and our allies there. Um, I I don't know if Joe has noticed a map. Maybe he has an old globe around, which, you know, the countries were different back in the 1930s when he bought it. But some of the borders are about the same. And if memory serves, Syria is a completely different country from Iraq. So his whole thing was, well, apparently, according to the Pentagon and trying to read through the lines, They attacked us in one country. We will attack them in a completely different country because we don't want to cause any more problems in Iraq. That would make things look bad for me. To their credit, a handful of Democrats on Capitol Hill 
are uh, not thrilled about this. Um, laying my cards on the table, one of the things I worried about in 2016 was about Trump. A, he's not really going to vet Supreme Court candidates or any kind of federal court candidates too well, and we might end up with a lot of disappointments, a lot of people who pretend to be conservative, then they turn into John Roberts once they sit on the bench. Well, he uh, excelled in that territory. Um, we got all sorts of conservative jurists now on the court. The other thing I was concerned about is, oh, man, he doesn't have a lot of experience. I hope he just doesn't start a bunch of wars, especially in the Middle East. we got to be pulling out of there. We've been in Afghanistan for two decades, and uh, Liz Cheney uh, weighed in, uh, just like her dad, saying, oh, we, we can't be isolationist. We can't pull out those troops. Um, 20 years is enough, folks. Pull them out. Uh, you should have done it 10 years ago when I was saying 10 years was enough. Um, at some point, you just have a token force of American troops serving as a tripwire. So they're there basically just to get attacked, harmed, or killed, and then we have a pretext for going in there with more guns blazing. Not a good situation. Um, it's a war-torn region. You just don't want a bunch of sitting ducks there just, I don't know, sitting around waiting to be attacked, which is all we seem to be doing in Afghanistan. Um but again, Trump didn't start new wars. He accidentally, you know, by, you know, everybody was promising he was the next Hitler. He was literally Hitler. But uh, somehow he got all these Abraham Accords signed, um, peace deals between all sorts of Arab nations, normalized relations with Israel. Uh, so he, uh, instead of bringing war to the Middle East, he brought peace to the Middle East. Um, and hey, guess what? We're right back to uh, wars. Uh Basically, we wanted to protect the Kurds, our allies. Remember when uh, Trump pulled out some troops that were supposed to support the Kurds and everybody assured that it was going to be Kurdish genocide on a level we haven't seen since World War II? Uh, yeah, that never happened. Uh, never happened at all. Kurds did fine because they're tough dudes. They're uh, good fighters, and they are interested in protecting their own lands, their own regions that they hold in Syria, in Iraq, and uh, you know a little bit in Iran as well. They're trying to get what's theirs in Turkey back. Uh, good luck with that. But still, they're tough guys. They're defending their homeland. They did not need us. And so we pulled out. Well, Joe's like, well, we got to get back in there. Got to get back in there to protect them in that kind of Iraqi-Syria border area. Oh, it's just the same old stuff, isn't it? Uh, back to war in the Middle East. And thanks a lot, Joe Biden. You promised $2,000 checks for every American because... The government decided to shut down half the country's economy, or at least mortally damage it. Hopefully it'll recover fairly soon. But instead of uh, sending out $2,000 checks or even $1,400 checks, we are back to bombing people in the Middle East. So way to go, Joe. Uh, way to go, people. No one in America, right or left, is interested in getting in yet another quagmire in the Middle East. Uh, Joe thinks it'll be great, though, because, hey, it's business as usual. America is back, baby. Uh, we're indiscriminately lobbing cruise missiles at various people around the Middle East, which I'm sure won't come back to harm us. So uh, Joe's problem that I'm seeing, and it's very early. He's only been in office a month or so. But looking at some of his statements, the guy is Eeyore. He is so downbeat. He is so downcast about how horrible things are in America. Now, politicians like setting the table. They start, They like to lower their expectations. But he has been so over the top in things, uh, saying things like, there was no COVID plan whatsoever when I walked into office. 
Um, and then he ends up following exactly pretty much what Trump did. Uh, he promises all these vaccinations. Uh, Trump had already beaten those numbers before he got in office. He said, uh, Biden said there's no vaccine when he came into office, which was the weirdest statement. The press, the fact checker said, oh, this is just Joe Biden being Joe Biden. He stumbled on his words. The next day, he said the exact same thing. There was no vaccine when I came into office, even though Joe Biden himself, three weeks before entering office, got a vaccine. And he was very proud of this. Um, and even though during the campaign, he said he didn't trust the Trump vaccine. Um, I, I guess he trusts it now. And he trusts it so much, he's taking all the credit for it. But again and again, um, Biden, you know, if he believed in this unity, love, happiness, rainbows, and puppy dogs strategy that he said that he believed in during the campaign and also during his inaugural address, um, you think he would have a great opportunity to say, hey, all you people in the middle who might not have been huge fans of myself or of Trump, all right, everybody calm down. Let's get back to work. Let's get these vaccines out. Let's all work together and uh, just basically reach across the aisle and reach out to the huge middle of this country, uh, some of whom voted for Trump in 2016, and then they flipped to vote for Biden this time. Uh, there's a lot of people who are just sick of both parties, um, and I am raising my hand right now. We are not on video. But um, the, he had a great opportunity, and he immediately frittered it away. Who it reminds me of, being an elderly gentleman, I'm 102 years old, as uh, listeners know. My voice sounds great for it, I promise you. But it reminded me of Jimmy Carter. When I was a little kid, I remember waiting in long gas lines and my dad using rather salty language complaining about Jimmy Carter. Um, but he gave a famous speech. It can be called the Malaise speech. And it was <laughs> something where he said, you know, yeah, we're running out of oil. Uh, the economy's in the tank. We've had inflation forever. Your home mortgage rate is uh, getting close to 20%. Um, yeah, I know things are bad, but have you ever considered that you, the American people, are the problem? Yeah, that was uh, Carter's brilliant play. Two days after that speech, he fired pretty much, well, he asked for the resignations of his entire cabinet. Most of them said, yeah, I'm out of here. And then 18 months later, Carter himself was out of office. So unless Joe Biden wants to... Uh, focus on the winning strategy of Jimmy Carter, he might want to try to uh, reach out across the aisle and also just lighten up, cheer up. Everything's not terrible. And uh, he wants to assure us that, yes, it is terrible. Uh, so pull it together, Joe. Um, this was a very easy win for your first 100 days in office. You've completely thrown it away. Um, congratulations on starting a new war, uh, continuing in the long tradition. And uh, hopefully we will get through this time together. Thanks for listening. Once again, I'm John Gabriel. We're going to be going to a quick ad break, and then we'll be back to talk more. I believe that is the 80s band Autograph, if memory serves. Gosh, I'm, so, I'm such a genius. Bill, uh, my main man, the producer, confirmed that. Uh, I know a lot of useless trivia, and that's why I name my podcast The King of Stuff. I know everything. Just ask me. Don't ask anyone else. Ask me, and I will tell you. I know everything. And one thing, um, I actually reached out to Dr. Gorka on Twitter during the ad break because one of his ads played. 
And I said, how do I get a cool voice like you? My voice stinks. Sebastian Gorka's voice, that is a voice of command, man. So uh, I have not heard back from the good doctor yet, um, but I'm very annoyed that I don't have his voice. Um, let me read you. We were talking about America's current malaise. And this basically sounds like what Biden's saying now. I'll give you a quote from a presidential address. All the legislation in the world cannot fix what's wrong with America. It's a crisis of confidence. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt about the meaning of our own lives and in the loss of a unity of purpose for our nation. The erosion of our confidence in the future is threatening to destroy the social and political fabric of America. Then he goes on to complain about the emptiness of our lives, which have no confidence or purpose. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was not Joe Biden. That was Jimmy Carter. Um, but it sounds like what Joe Biden is saying all the time. He said uh, there's no way that we can change the trajectory of the virus, COVID. There's no way. Why are we all locked in our houses for crying out loud? Why are schools closed from coast to coast? Why are we wearing these dumb masks? I'm sorry, three masks. I assure you I'm reading. I'm wearing three masks as I speak right now. Maybe that's why I don't have a cool Gorka voice. But, um, yeah, this is not uh, – the end of the world, 99-plus uh, percent survivability rate of a virus. We don't need to shut down the world because of this. Uh, there was actually a poll um, which sparked this rant by me of this whole malaise thing that Biden is saddling us with. Uh, Gallup every year does a mood of the nation survey, and they just ask seven different areas of American life and say, okay, how are you feeling? Are you satisfied with this? How about this other thing? Um, yeah, you have uh, – they do quality of life, government, the corporate world, religion, economics, and the overall moral climate. Are you satisfied or not satisfied? Well, they just did this last month and 39 uh, – yeah, excuse me. 39 percent of respondents are happy with how the U.S. is doing. Now, this is the lowest <laughs> they have ever measured. They've been doing this for over two decades. It is by far the lowest um, satisfaction rate among the American people uh, that they've ever encountered. Last year, it was 52 percent. It's down 13 points in one year. Um, even back in 2002, right after the 9-11 attacks, um, it was like 28 points higher than it is right now. People in America are kind of in a funk, and they're frustrated with all of our institutions right now, especially when it comes to D.C. You have Republicans mad at the Republican Party. You have Democrats mad at the Democratic Party. The fastest growing, quote unquote, party affiliation here in the state of Arizona is independent, non-affiliated. Um, it, it's just growing like crazy. Before, you had Republicans number one, Democrats number two, and a few wacky independents after that. Now, uh, independents have passed the Democratic Party. And it's almost divided by one-third, one-third, one-third for all those three um, parties, and I'm using that term loosely since one is independent or non-affiliated. Um, I think the GOP is easily going to be um, outnumbered by independents in the next year or two. People are just very frustrated. Trump was a big reaction to that. I'll probably talk more about that later, of people just wanting almost like a post-partisan, post-policy or a political party. America. They want somebody to come in and get some stuff done, and they don't want someone mouthing the pieties that the Republicans or the Democrats have been preaching for 50 years now. Uh, we are in a new era, and it is time to uh, tell the elites to shut up and get a couple things done. 
uh, maybe a few smaller items because all of their big issues that they focused on, um, think the Iraq war, Obamacare, the Obamacare website, remember what that, what a success that one was? Um, all these different things that uh, the establishment is trying to do, they usually swing for the fences and they end up striking out. So people are frustrated with it. They're frustrated with the antiquated party structure. And um, if our betters in the press in D.C. and New York City think that Trump was an anomaly, he was not an anomaly. We're going to have a lot more Trumps in the future. Obviously, you could have Trump himself run in 2024, but there are also a lot of other people emulating that message, not only in the U.S., all over the world right now. Um, you can see this happening everywhere. I've written about this for the Arizona Republic. I publish it every other weekend. But one of the frustrations during the four years of Trump is you had people saying, oh, this is a unique problem. It's only happening in America. Hashtag white supremacy, hashtag misogyny, whatever their uh, fear bait is uh, on their uh, click machines for today. But this is happening everywhere. You had Bolsonaro in Brazil, populist. Duterte, the Philippines, populist. You've had the interesting thing of uh, the French prime minister trying to outflank the right, basically, by saying, look, we have to integrate uh, this immigrant population because we have a serious Islam problem. Um, back to Charlie Hebdo, back to the discotheque that they shot up a few years back. Um, he's like going to the right of what's considered the far right parties. You had Brexit in the UK before Trump. So again and again, um, these groups of the people rising up against the elites and wanting to give them a black eye has been happening. It's not just America. It's all over the world. In many respects, we kind of followed the trend with Trump. So uh, anybody who thinks, oh, if we get Biden in office, everything will be back to normal. Uh, they know it's not getting back to normal if you just look at cancel culture. Uh, removing Parler from the App Store uh, was one. Uh, for years, they said, when someone was canceled off of Twitter, their account shut down. Hey, just build your own Twitter. This is a private company. They can do what they want. Um, yeah, and then they shut down those things that conservatives build. Um, you don't have to be a fan of social media on any level, let alone Parler or any of the other services out there. But they would not be trying to silence conservative voices if they actually thought things were back to normal. They think the problem and why Trump got elected is they're allowing rabble like you and I to speak back to them. And so they just want to shut that down completely, demonetizing anyone who uh, defers from the national official narrative and uh, shutting them down, demonetizing them on YouTube, not showing um, up in Google searches shutting them off of Facebook. It's just happening again and again. And now the Democrats, many of them, are trying to get places, I'm sure Salem will be on there very soon, but for now they're focusing on TV. They want Fox News taken off of uh, cable services. OANN is another network, Newsmax. They just want to remove them completely from the public conversation. This is not a confident elite. This is a terrified elite. Uh, they're terrified of being canceled themselves. Trump gave them the scare of their life, and they want to prevent any future Trumps from ever appearing on the scene. Um, sorry, the people's mood will not be silenced on these things. Uh, we are going to be engaged. We are going to talk about issues, even if, God forbid, they disagree with the lofty views of our elites who have led us into problem after problem for the past few decades. So after the break, 
We're going to be talking to Tiana Lowe. She wrote a great article about the problems going on in California. Talk to you after the break. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in for him here on 960 The Patriot. And very happy to have Tiana Lowe. She uh, writes for the Washington Examiner, providing commentary there. And originally, she is from the once golden state of California. Um, Gavin Newsom, the governor there, seems to be uh, in a bit of trouble. And I brought Tiana on. She just wrote a great piece about it today at the Washington Examiner. Um, what on earth is going on with our, our friend Gavin? So the issue with California is that a lot of the problems are self-compounded. So prior to the pandemic, our problems that have been there for decades, energy grid is very outdated. There's not enough housing. And obviously we're a big quarter of immigration, which isn't a problem on its own, but it is a problem when you don't have adequate housing and when you don't have the economy to create more jobs. Gavin Newsom made a lot of those problems worse. As lieutenant governor, he was pivotal in shutting down the last remnants of our nuclear power industry. He blocked a lot of pro-development uh, housing legislation that would have zoned a lot of areas. And so by the time the coronavirus hit, when he was instituting these shutdowns, you know, California is one of the only places in the country where it's 73 and sunny year-round. He shut down outdoor dining. So, and it's not down just in time for the holidays. So a bunch of people coming home for the holidays, instead of going to an outdoor patio and enjoying a beer and a meal with, like, the family, we're going into the home with Grandma, and as a result, um, half of all coronavirus deaths that California has incurred during the pandemic came in the two months of the outdoor dining ban. Yeah, it's just amazing with all the natural advantages, environmental, location, everything that California has, to see how he could just run it into the ground so quickly. And something I didn't know is how popular he was just a year ago. You mentioned this in your piece, 67% approval rating a year ago. And now there's 1.5 million signatures to recall him for office, and they're they're not backing down. They're still getting more. Is 1.5 the, the kind of the tripwire to have that recall election? So 1.5 million is the threshold, but they all have to be verified. And it's a pretty technical process, because obviously there are very few states with the formal recall process, and California makes those fairly stringent. So just get 1.5 signatures that are all verified. And the California Secretary of State has 10 days to prove that any of them are, are unverified. And then for the next 30 days, anyone who did sign the petition can back out. Um, but the main thing with California is that this is not really a partisan push because it, it came amidst realizing that one party rule in California did not work out. You know, in so we'll take like one state that's actually Republican and one state that's purple. Texas, Republican GOP openly courts, you know, Latino voters. Florida GOP courts all voters. The California GOP has sort of given up. And that means that the California Democratic Party has been able to rule without any check and balance. So it sort of took the silver spoon openly 
foiled made-for-TV disaster governor to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, it's just seeing the guy talk, all you can think of is uh, the villain from every 1980s movie, um, well, including American Psycho, which was made much later. Uh, but he always <laughs> just seemed like such a fluffy non-entity. Um, but all he really had to do is just keep the state rolling along. You know, you have Silicon Valley. You have, of course, the great tourism boom that everybody, you know, wants to visit California. But it seems like he can't even do that. Uh, this is the governor who, uh, you know, under his tenure, although he didn't call for it um, right away, but you had a skate park. They filled it with sand because people were skating anyway, despite COVID, because God forbid they'd be outside and actually exercising. Um, and then you had the fateful dinner at the French Laundry, um, a place that I've always wanted to go, but I don't have, you know, a grand or two sitting around to go up to yeah. Napa and enjoy French Laundry. Um, did that – really, it seems like politicians really fail when they do something that just provides terrible, terrible optics, and it kind of sums up their entire personality in one action – did that really flip the script and finally get Democrats going, this guy's an idiot. We got to get rid of him before he destroys our state. So when I look at the polling, it's clear that that was an inflection point. The Recall Newsom organization, which, mind you, is predominantly conservative, like the organizers of the most conservative background, but they are also lifelong Californians. They are not the people who are going to go move to Idaho or move to Texas. They want to save the state. And then this in particular, it didn't have to do with the French Laundry thing. But that clearly is motivational for them in the sense that this is a silver spoon politician. Look, Newsom's introduction to politics was being bankrolled by the Gettys and then having Willie Brown appoint him from commission to commission until he endorsed him for mayor. And, you know, so he and Kamala Harris were in the same... It was the two of them who were clearly the up-and-comers. The difference is that Newsom was a silver spoon millionaire bankrolled by the Gettys. And Kamala, lover or hater, and I, you know, was never a fan of Kamala, she was an up-and-coming prosecutor who worked her way through the ranks of the San Francisco DA's office and then became California Attorney General. Right. Come 2016, the options were, so they had two open seats, Barbara Boxer's Senate seat, and then the gubernatorial seat that had to be vacated by Jerry Brown. And now, I'd love you to finish this. Can you hold on with me during the break? We got an ad break right now? Yes. yes okay, sure. fantastic. Sorry. Oh, that's fine. We'll we'll finish it up there with uh, Tiana Lowe. Thanks for being on. See you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, I am filling in for Seth Liebson. My name is John Gabriel and very happy to have on Tiana Lowe, fantastic writer for the Washington Examiner and a Californian who has really, uh, really done a great job showcasing the mess that Gavin Newsom has gotten himself into. Uh, you had talked about how he was kind of selected by Willie Brown uh, being the uh, Silver Spoon candidate and uh, just as he selected Kamala, who ended up going to the Senate. Uh, so why don't you continue with that? Yeah, so um, if you're looking at all the political appointments, the fact that the Gettys bankrolled him and that, you know, Bill Clinton uh, endorsed him to be the governor candidate like almost a decade back and then it wound up being Jerry Brown. 
But then, don't worry, the California machine made sure that he was lieutenant governor. So by the time that Kamala decided that she wanted to be the senator, he just smooth-sailed into the governorship. So he's just never really been challenged. This is the first time in his entire career he has to earn his keep. And the fact that it's failing so rapidly is telling. Because the people I talked to who were angry with him, it wasn't all of the tradition. It wasn't Trump country in California. You know, it wasn't Newport Beach and Bakersfield and all the farming country. It was your bread and butter service workers in Los Angeles. And all of your Democratic operatives who wanted California to be a liberal state that worked for the working class. Because Newsom has failed. Yeah, and he's failed horribly. Uh, you just think of these uh, restaurant workers. I know that you got quotes from them as well, just saying, I never thought I would be the one applying for unemployment, and here I am. Um, so Oliver Wynn is the person that you uh, quoted, been working in L.A. in the restaurant industry for years now. And he's like, okay, this guy has completely destroyed my life. <laughs> we, need, we need to fight back. Yeah, no, and, and it's like Oliver is the American dream. He's someone who didn't come from a background where you could have parents buy his way into a fancy private university. And he worked really, really words that I can't use on uh, radio cars, you know? <laughs> um, and that's what pains me the most. Like, I get that, sure, you know, we have the tech sector and all that. But the point of California is, like, we make dreams come true. People come here to work in music, to come and work in cinema, and to work in the restaurant industry. And these people work 18-hour days. It is cutthroat to get here. And for them, like, you know, one of the things that I talked to Oliver about it, it wasn't about him not being able to make it, because he said, look, he has a good, like, good supportive family. But that, at a certain point, you should not be reliant on unemployment when you have been eager and willing to show up to work every day of her life since you were 14 years old. Yeah, it's just uh, really tragic to see that, um, almost like uh, he's targeted the American dream and is trying to kill it. Um, so I don't know if it's a ineptness or uh, his plan from the start. It's just really ugly to see. And living in Arizona, as I do, I can't tell you how many people, actors, comedians, musicians, have DM'd me on Twitter and said, hey, um, just got into town. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are the good restaurants to go to? And I'm like, oh, were, were you in California? And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And everybody's talking. It's like everybody they know is talking about leaving. It might be Vegas. It might be Texas. But they are getting out of Dodge because they're like, enough already. It's just what am I paying all this insane taxes for if I can't even go out to a restaurant? My kid can't go to their school. There's hypodermic needles all over my sidewalk in a decent neighborhood. Yeah. What am I paying for no, here? It's, it's like my parents still live out there, you know, and my dad runs a medical practice, or my dad is a doctor, which is a medical practice, and my mother runs it. If, if you know, they have a grandfather in home, they have a daughter, who, so my little sister's younger than me, and she has school over there. I get why you would stay, but I couldn't stay. Mm -hmm. I, there was no way I could have made a life for myself. In this, and, and I'm comparing this to D.C. Like, <laughs> D.C. is not anyone's idea of, like, a capital of The libertarian paradise like, of D.C., it is, it is very far from that. But at the very least, I can afford a rent and not get, you know, just shellacked by taxes left and right. And also, with California, you know, the wokest people on the planet. You know, when I was living in California, I was the biggest advocate of extending all the metro lines to the coast. 
Because theoretically, you could have all these metro lines that would have connected to California and made it not necessary to own a car. And you know who the number one champions against that were? The rich, white millionaires and billionaires who live in Beverly Hills and West Hollywood. They don't want all the poor from downtown having any easy access to their neighborhoods. Exactly. I'm sorry, I was done. I was done with that. I, I, I don't want to live in a segregated, like, fake multi-ethnic gerontocracy with the same Sunni coalition as Guatemala. <laughs> that is not liberalism. That is communism with a nice, like, shield over it. Yeah, it's just amazing to see. And this is the problem that people on the left, they might think, in theory, socialism sounds good. But what always happens is... All it does is create an underclass, a master class, and all the middle class people get the heck out of Dodge because they're like, we're the ones having to pay for all this garbage. Yeah, and you know what? The, the biggest secret of all the wokes out there, you know, they will never go down to Skid Row and volunteer. They will never zone the housing so that way they can have more high-density housing so you can get poor people off the street or better yet during coronavirus make sure that grandparents aren't forced into bedrooms with their kids who need to go to school. They don't give a bleep, John. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Yeah. It's just really awful to see. They think, well, I gave to Joe Biden. I gave to the Lincoln Project, so I'm a good person. Uh, that didn't work out terribly well for them. Yeah, no, it, it, it's as long as their spin cycle class has a Black Lives Matter sign outside of it, and they can you know, keep the zoning high enough to all, like, the hardworking, poor, legal Latinos can't be in their neighborhood. They can feel good about themselves. They day drink Bellinis at Fred's over at Barney's in Beverly Hills. Right. right? Yeah. So do you think, um, you know, I, I don't want to get my hopes up falsely. Do you think this recall has a good chance of uh, sticking? Okay. So it's, it's sort of there are three paths, Right. If nothing else happens, but Faulkner remains the primary candidate. So Kevin Faulkner was the former mayor of San Diego, a very successful moderate Republican mayor. When Hillary did 36 points over Trump, Faulkner did 37 points over uh, his Democratic challenger. Wow. If it's just him, it's possible. It's sort of a crapshoot. Right. If Rick Grinnell gets in, I really like Rick Grinnell. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against him. However, then it would be very easy for Newsom to try and turn this into into a referendum against Donald Trump instead of being a referendum against him, which is what it has to be. Right. Then if, you know, so this is per internal polling of Faulkner, if like, say someone like an Antonio Villaraigosa or uh, some lower level but nationally recognized Democrat gets into the race, they could sort of create a buy-in right for like Latino voters or for Asian American voters. And that could help that top number, because all that really matters is that top number. Does the recall pass, yes or no? Yeah. Okay. Well, we, Democrat, we have to go to an ad break right now. Thanks so much for being on, though. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, John. Thanks, Yana. I really am simply the best. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth Liebson. Uh, thanks again to Tiana Lowe. Uh, check out her work, her latest article, of course, about California Governor Gavin Newsom's deep, deep problems. And uh, check out her other work on Washington Examiner. It's really great stuff. This is a very long, meaty story. It's not one of these clickbaits, ha-ha, look at California kind of thing. Uh, she's someone who is on the ground there, who gets it, who understands it. 
and uh, really reveals a lot about the mechanics going on in the parties there because the party machine, the Democratic machine in uh, the once golden state, um, they're to blame really. They haven't let these people stand elections or face challenges. They've just appointed, okay, you're the heir apparent to be the governor. You should be the next senator and they kick everybody else out of the field. Uh, so voters don't really have much of a decision. It's all decided in the back rooms in Sacramento and San Francisco and L.A., and behind the big money people. Uh, one thing that um, really anyone in Arizona, you know, we'll like going to the beach in California, visit there every couple of years or maybe a couple times a year. But every time I go, it's worse. It's just shocking. The last, say, 20 years, I'll be out there for business or for a meeting or for a quick vacation, you know, run to San Diego in the middle of the summer, something like that. I can't really do that anymore. It's bleak. It's really bleak. And when Gavin Newsom was the mayor of San Francisco, that's the last time we visited it. Um, I mostly went there so we could spend a day, eat some good food. My wife had never been there before. And uh, by the end of it, we were just there a few hours. She's like, let's not ever come here again. You know, we were accosted by very violent homeless people and had to kind of move away from those people. You know, feces on the streets, needles lying everywhere. And this was several years ago and it's even worse now. So um, it, it's just really sad what's happened to a very beautiful uh, state or at least it should be a very beautiful state. And the Democratic Party is just destroying it um, one brick at a time. Um, I don't know how much longer this can go on but as I mentioned – um, I had people all the time contacting me, you know, some people very successful in California, some just uh, stressed out parents saying, look, I, I have to get out of here. What are the schools like in Arizona? Which neighborhood should I move to? Um, there was a time really in the summer was <laughs> the big time this happened when our weather is at its worst. And I was getting every week someone else from California was asking for advice. Where should I leave? Where should I live? Should I go to Tucson, Flagstaff, the Phoenix area, the suburbs? What are the schools like there? So uh, it's really sad what's happened to it. Hopefully the voters can finally have their voice reinstalled and uh, can make a much better decision than the goofball Gavin Newsom. But thanks to Gavin Newsom for chasing all the good businesses our way. Uh, that's been good for Arizona's economy. We will be back after the top of the hour break, here's some news and chat more about the news of the day. Thanks for listening to 960 The Patriot. Once again, I am John Gabriel filling in for Seth Leibson.